0: All right, uh, Revelation chapter 8, to the matter at hand, uh, we'll ask the Lord's blessing as we always do. Now, Heavenly Father, with these very sobering and solemn truths before us, the prophecy that unfolds the the end of the world as we know it, we read about these words are just so breathtaking. We pray that. The Spirit of grace and the knowledge of your love would help us to understand these truths in a way that bears fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was listening to the Psalms the other morning. I like to do that, and I noticed something I really hadn't noticed before. Maybe it's because I was listening Um, It has to do with the psalm that we read to open our service, Psalm 136, Uh, the worship leader there listing the various attributes of God or his deeds, reasons to rejoice in the Lord's love. And one at a time, all through the psalm. One after another, the congregation repeats in unison the affirmation: His love endures forever. Well, the first part of the psalm goes fine, and just as you would think, uh, to him, to him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Uh, to him who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. He made the sun, moon, and stars. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Got it. Then I noticed something. Did you notice this with me? Let me read it to you. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. To him who swept Pharaoh and his entire army into the sea, his love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. To him who killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Well, the apparent disconnect or dissonance there in the cause for the rejoicing of his love and yet the holy spirit here i believe is reminding us of a truth that all god's people know that god's judgment is not at odds with his love god's chastisements are not at odds with his mercy in fact god's love kind of demands that he deals with his enemies the enemies of truth, the enemies who oppose God, who oppose goodness, who oppose his plan of redemption, who stand in the way of his plan of redemption and his people. When love's in the house, the bad guy doesn't stand a chance because love protects. Love will prevent evil from triumphing. Love champions the cause of goodness. Now, speaking of love, And the firstborn uh, that perished, that first Passover, you know, provision was made. Lamb's blood pointing to the greater lamb of God who would uh, lay down his life for the sins of the world. And, you know, for Pharaoh and his armies, you know, there was room in the promised land. Ask Rahab. She not only entered the promised land, but she became honored in all of Israel and related humanly speaking, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there was repentance available for those great kings because the king of kings laid down his life in love. And he said, whosoever will, will not perish. So God's wrath then comes upon the whosoever wants. And I think that is a good framework for understanding as we work our way through Revelation, the unveiling of advanced history, the last seven years of human history. God is judging a Christ-rejecting world. He's defeating evil. He's vindicating his people. He's desiring repentance. He's working in a redemptive way. He's reestablishing his word, paradise a place famous for no more crying and no more pain because the old order of things has passed away. You know, it's an appalling process, this judgment that we're studying here in Revelation, but consistent with God's love because his love endures forever. So if you're just joining us, here's the context before we dive in to chapter eight and the trumpet judgments. Now, Uh, The church has been what we call raptured from a verb, uh, from a verse that says, the, The Lord will descend from heaven and catch up believers into the heavens to be out of harm's way. As ancient Lot and his family were rescued and removed from the scene before God's wrath was poured out on Sodom, in the same way we believe, and we believe that the scriptures teach it. That the Lord rescues and removes believers or his church uh, before the day of his wrath. Now, Second Peter chapter two really says that this example of Lot and his family being removed before wrath falls is an example to us and suggests that we who are alive at the Lord's coming can expect the same thing. <laughs> Not only that, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, Jesus clearly promises the church, I will spare you, I will keep you from that hour of tribulation that will come upon the whole world. There are other scriptures as well, but I just want to establish that as we are talking about the judgment that comes upon a Christ-rejecting world, uh, the scriptures clearly indicate that the church has been removed from harm's way. Now, we are... In the middle, the midst of the judgment, you'll look on the screen and you'll see a familiar slide we've been using. Chapters 6 through 19, the crux of Revelation, is one seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. The way the Holy Spirit unfolds those seven years is in 21 stages called the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls of God's wrath. That will be poured out there. And so we are in chapter 8. So the first six seals have been opened already. And we find with the seventh seal that there are seven trumpets. In other words, it's like three boxes inside each other. So you open one box and inside that box is a box. And you open that box and there's another box. And so six seals have been opened. And with those six seals, the four horsemen of the apocalypse have been released. The white horse, the Antichrist, is on the loose and is out with his mind-numbing deception. And then the red horse, the the fiery red horse with the global wars raging. And then the black horse, speaking of famine and economic and financial collapse globally. And then finally, the, the... pale horse a major loss of human life a quarter of the earth's population perishing now chapter seven to get you up to chapter eight was what's called a parenthetical it just gave us some information in between these judgments in the wake of all this massive death chapter seven lets you know what's going on spiritually well the gospel is being preached and people are getting saved because his love endures forever. So in chapter 7, we hear of 144,000 Christians from Israel. They become Christians and evangelize the world preaching the gospel. And we also hear in chapter 7 that there are multitudes of believers coming to faith, but they're being martyred. They're dying for the gospel in the tribulation period because... Faith in Christ is a death sentence in the Antichrist kingdom. And it's not just faith in Christ. It's anybody who will not worship him or take the mark of his name, the mark 666 upon the forehead of the hand. It's really hard to understand what that means, uh, but we know this, to, to not acknowledge him and worship him will cost you your life. And of course, Christians, by it seems, the millions will not, and therefore will be martyred. Now we are up to chapter eight. Thank you for the slide. Now it's time to open that seventh seal and expose the seven uh, trumpets. And we're going to take a look at that. Things are going to pick up and intensify as they do, because uh, as each stage Unfolds, things seem to get worse and worse. So let's read the entire chapter. It's only 13 verses, and then we'll walk back through it for a closer look and glean some insight. So that brings us to Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. When he, speaking of the Lord Jesus, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood And it was hurled down upon the earth, a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet. And a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an angel that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. So we'll pause there because I think there's enough there to reflect upon for this morning. (laughs) Now, the very first Christian sermon preached publicly on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 went something like this In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. First Christian sermon, Acts chapter 2. So we've been hearing about what we're reading for 2,000 years Not only that, the day of the Lord has been mentioned and preached about and expounded upon 18 times in the Old Testament and then another seven times in the New Testament. So, what we are reading isn't disjointed, it's the blow by blow graphic portrayal of what 66 books or 65 books have been saying the whole time from the very beginning. So I don't know what it is about, oh, we're preaching Revelation, like it's a big surprise, like it's something different. There's nothing unique about Revelation except we're actually seeing the prophetic word blow by blow in 21 phases laid out before, just what exactly has been taught to us all along. And so to skip over Revelation when A, The Lord Jesus Christ says this is the only book that comes with an automatic blessing for reading and studying it. Blessed are you who hear the words. You get an automatic blessing because there's something about the truth revealed in this prophecy that will produce fruit in your life. A fear of the Lord that keeps you from evil, a a love for evangelism, a compassion for souls. It's just a ridiculous idea for you to just leapfrog over portions of Scripture because it makes people uncomfortable. The Scriptures say, therefore, comfort one another with these words. These words are comforting and edifying. And, And if the Lord didn't want us to study this book, he wouldn't have included it in the canon of Holy Scripture. He says, this is an unveiling for my servants. Read it and be blessed. Therefore, I finish my defense of why we are in the book of Revelation. But it's Sunday morning. Yeah, it's Sunday morning, and we're in the end of the world here. So let's, let's, let's proceed. Now, this chapter... Kind of splits in half, and that's how we'll walk through it. The first half, the silent preparation, verses 1 through 6, and the next half, the last half, the first four trumpets are sounded, verses 7 through 13. So let's walk through and consider this impressive silence in heaven that John says felt like, to me, about a half an hour. Well, apparently, this silence is saying we're at a pivotal turning point. There's really no going back now. Something has changed. Uh, Commentators say that the seal judgments that we've already opened really is about God taking away restraints and letting human evil find its wider expression. Now, with the trumpets... God takes a more direct approach in divine intervention and judgment. And in this silence, two things are happening. First, angels are armed, and secondly, prayers are being answered. So, this startling, dramatic silence is a big contrast to what has come before, and it's quite sobering to picture trillions and trillions of beings in heaven uh, become silent. Considering the boisterous activities, the four living creatures cry out day and night before the throne of God, about his holiness. The cherubim and the seraphim have been actively praising and ministering there, multitudes upon multitudes of angels in joyful uh, assembly, innumerable numbers. It says as the sands on the sea of, of redeemed human beings, of every language, every nation, every tongue, as many As no one can count, you cannot count them. So you got to picture trillions and trillions of beings with harps and singing and speaking and carrying on and rumblings and peals of thunder. Heaven is a happening place. But when the Lord opens seal number seven, a deafening silence falls over the entire kingdom of heaven. Everybody is silent. Is it the very first time in all of eternity that the four living creatures cease praising God and are silent? Very first time. Can you imagine what it felt like for trillions of beings all to be present and then suddenly silence? Look at how awkward it is here with a couple of hundred people for five seconds. Let's just, just go for five seconds, all right? See if you can do it with me, all right? I almost died during that. <laughs> Seriously, I thought, is this ever going to end, you, you know? A half an hour of, of heaven, all of heaven, going quiet. Why? The solemnity, the seriousness of what's to come. They all know. Jesus called it great distress. He said, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. Why the silence? Come on. Well, praise and singing is inappropriate right now. Rather, we should have reverent, thoughtful silence. That's appropriate to respect the immensity of the moment and the, the loss of life and the pain and the suffering that will grieve God's heart we already know he says as surely as i live i swear by my own name i take no delight in the death of the wicked rather that they turn from their evil ways and live saith the lord ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 it grieves his heart and part of the reason their silence is because God is brooding and we brood with him in all of heaven grief look what it's come to one last sigh one last thrown up the hands Peter said it this way in his second letter. He said, in the last day, oh, there'll be scoffers and they'll be saying, where is this so-called coming? He's promised. Everything's gone on pretty much the same since all of creation. But then he says this. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. Now, here, here's his heart and related to the silence. The Lord's not slow about keeping his promise. He's been putting this day off on purpose. He's not slow about it. As some understand slowness, he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. There it is again, New Testament, Second Peter 2. But I think we, we get an idea about why heaven is silent because he's not willing that anyone perish and he's been waiting and waiting and waiting some 6,000 years. But the day has come and God's patience has run out In God's estimation, there's nothing more, redemptively speaking, to be gained. In his wisdom, in his knowledge, there's nothing to add to his glory, there's nothing to add to holiness, and there's no point of going on in God's mind. And now it's time to be quiet and consider that that day that he's been putting off, that he didn't even want to happen, here it is. When the Lord laid the earth's foundation, the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. But now it's time to shake that foundation and dismantle the, uh, the, the building that he made, the earth. It's not a time for singing. It's not a time for a shout of joy. I'm wondering if this has anything to do with last chapter, the four great angels holding back the, the, the winds from blowing on the earth, and it says that there was a great lull, that not a leaf stirred or a breeze blew and the oceans, even the waves stopped uh, uh, pounding the shores because there was no wind, and in the forest an eerie stillness there was a lull before the storm. So all of heaven quiet. That has translated into the earth, and everybody's just waiting for this, this moment. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, said Zephaniah, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be still before him. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 20. So now imagine the trillions of silent beings watching as seven angels prepare and are handed trumpets to them. These are archangels because the definite article used, the seven angels, shows that a specific seven are in mind. So it says here, the seven angels who stand before God. So there are seven archangels who stand before the presence of God. You know, one of them... uh, ran into John the Baptist's father once. Uh, God heard your prayers, he tells. The archangel tells uh, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, there as he's serving the Lord in the temple. And he says to him, you know, your wife Elizabeth can't bear children, but she is going to conceive by God's grace, and I want you to name the boy John because he's going to introduce the Messiah to Israel. And then Zacharias says, how can I know this is going to come to pass? And Gabriel says, well, my name is Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. I thought that might be enough for you, but apparently you need something more. And, you know, uh, Zacharias paid a price For that unbelief but he said i'm gabriel i stand in the presence of god he's one of these seven michael is named in daniel's heavenly vision as the prince who's warring for israel but in jude chapter 1 verse 9 it calls my uh michael an archangel the word michael means who is like god and the word gabriel god is my strength So all that to say that Gabriel, Michael, and five others who will be privileged to meet by name, if you have trusted in Jesus, assemble with trumpets while every eye is glued and the silence just hangs over heaven. Verses 3 to 5, just then another angel steps forward and does something that's very telling and shows us, listen to this, It shows us what is prompting God to move his hand toward judging the earth. The answer, our prayers. The great tribulation by God's word is an answer to prayer. Well, you may be thinking, I have never in my life prayed uh, about the Lord bringing to pass the great tribulation. Uh, Yeah, you have. Yes, you have. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the way he brings his kingdom. You know, the judgment is part of the story, but it's not all the story because God's blessing to his people in his uh, reestablishing of paradise in this world this, where only righteousness dwells is a part of what the day of the Lord is entails in 18 places in the Old Testament. There's blessing, 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 not just judgment. So we pray, thy kingdom come. Now, before the trumpet is pressed to the archangel's lips, there's something uh, the Holy Spirit wants God's people to know. And he says, the tribulation is a direct answer to prayers. Well, we've seen the prayers of the suffering who have been persecuted and martyred there in the tribulation, but your text says those prayers are the prayers of, quote, all saints. And by the way, the word saint doesn't mean moral perfection, as most of you know. It comes from a Greek word, hagios, which means to be separated from sin and the world and to God for his purposes. That's all it means. Now, the symbol of wavering, waving, I should say, smoldering censers filled with incense are defined for you. I love it when there's kind of an image and then he says, this is what it is. What it is is the prayers of all the saints. Now, here's a slide of kind of what's going on here. Moses t- uh, was told by the Lord when he was building the um, tabernacle. Now, this is different. This altar of incense is different from the brazen altar that was used for the animal sacrifice. This stood before the, the temple curtain or veil that, that because of Jesus' death was torn in two, separated the holy place from the holy of holy, holies, right? The Ark of the Covenant's behind that curtain where the presence of God dwells. Now, the altar of incense, there was a special recipe of these um, wonderful spices that could only be used to signify the prayers of God's people, the intercession of God's priest on behalf of the people. And so blood, once a year, was placed by the high priest on those four Little, they called them horns at that altar, signifying also that Jesus' blood and Jesus' atonement is what intercedes for us 24-7. But generally speaking, it's thought of these, and they were to burn 24-7, meaning God just delights with the prayers of his people. They are sweet to him. They matter. They are in a gold of value to God. Fragrance, he receives them. He's listening. He takes the light in them. And this is the, the, the symbol going on. You'll see the sensor more up close, swinging, and this is what John is seeing, something like this, and, and he's being told it's the prayers of God's people, and they have culminated. Thank you for that slide. They've culminated in this, that God now is ready to move his hand on behalf of his people, on behalf of people who have prayed throughout the ages the prayer of thy kingdom come. Psalm 10, Psalm 73, why, O Lord, are the wicked prospering and the good guys are being trampled over Why, O Lord, are the wicked jubilant? Psalm 94, verse 3. How long, O Lord, before you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? You know, know, these prayers have been building up for 6,000 years. Didn't it start back where? Didn't it start with the blood on the ground of righteous Abel? His blood crying out, the scriptures say, unto God for justice. Right from the ground where he was slaughtered by his brother, Cain, the first human being ever born of a man and a woman. Didn't Eve, in her mother's heart, cry out with Adam with a broken heart and say, God, how long? How long before you fix this mess that we created? How long looking at their slain son? Just a few heartbeats from paradise. How long until you bring that conqueror through the womb of a woman? How long, Lord, it started 6,000 years ago, and he's been collecting those prayers How long will men lie and steal and oppress and slander one another? What a world we live in. What a world. Just two days ago, Greg, our keyboard player, went out to start his car. And though it will sound funny to you, it's no laughing matter. Thieves put his car... Up on blocks and took his wheels and tires completely off, so he gets up in the morning to go to work and go eke out a living young Christian couple with a little baby, and he comes out to his car on blocks and his not just his tires the whole all four wheels gone. How long must we live in a world like this? Raise your hand if you've ever had somebody take something of yours that they shouldn't have, They've been, you've been stolen from. Raise your hand. Look around <laughs> at this basically good world in which basically good people live. Why is that the case? How long? And by the way, the church wants to bless them. If you'd like to do a little offering to help Greg and Oriana with their car, and their, their position. They didn't ask for this, and he wouldn't even tell me much of the story because he saw the look in my eyes. <laughs> but you know what? You just put something in the offering, just put f- Greg, or just put tires, or just put oy vey. <laughs> <laughs> we well, know what that means. How long? Oh, Lord, how long? How long will murderers be lurking in the shadows? Seriously. How long will we hear about... Genocide. How long will we hear the words rape and child molestation? How long? We've been praying for 6,000 years. How long, Lord Jesus? Human trafficking, gang violence. How long will will it be that baby seals are more protected than? a baby human being in his or her mother's womb. 3,500 babies were violently pulled into heaven today and every day of the year in just the United States of America. 3,500 babies today and tomorrow and the next day how long, how long, how long, how long, how long, how long? And he says, it's over. 42 months. If this is the middle, which commentators say, it's the middle, it's a three and a half mark. First trumpet, then you're at 42 months. And then guess what? Never again. Nothing impure or unholy or sinful can enter that kingdom. You will never, you will look for so many evil, you will never find them. You'll never hear about a lie. We won't know what a lie is ever again. You will be incapable of lying. Thank the good Lord. <laughs> and me as well. So those prayers are prompting God's hand. So to the trumpets, they move rather quickly. There's only four of them. Um, Now, in pure silence, the seven take position. Can you imagine that feeling of watching them be handed the trumpets? Trumpet number one in verse seven, uh, hurled down to the earth, hail, fire mixed with blood, a third of the earth, a third of the trees, essentially all the green grass and the brush burned up. Here's what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, the trumpet judgments parallel the plagues of God that God sent on Egypt. And why not? After all, the whole world will be saying, as did Pharaoh, who is the Lord that we should serve him. Now, most naturally understood, this is some sort of electrical phenomenon that follows by the way the thunder, the lightning and the earthquake. Uh, some kind of thunderstorm of thunderstorms now the mixed with blood part many indicate uh, they say it may indicate the blood shed that was caused by the destruction or the color of soot now some say look at God's mercy a third is a significant portion but the whole world is not destroyed it's enough to warn It's enough to give people the chance to repent. Now, you know, driving uh, to Idaho many years ago, where Barb's family is from, the middle of the night, and there were brush fires raging wild everywhere. In fact, the freeway was closed. Now, somebody stopped me, a highway patrolman, and, and asked me how I got so far on the freeway. And I said, I've been driving. And they said, well, you didn't see that the freeways have been closed because on both sides of the freeway were just just orange blaze and black soot. And just, it was crazy. It was like the world was on fire. But, you know, that might have explained to me why all the, cars were pulled over to the side of the road. And, and I just kept driving, but I didn't see the sign. So, but, you know, we got through it okay. But the point of this is, is that the whole world is on fire, really pretty much, and um, God is being merciful. Now, surely the preachers who are preaching during the trip, surely they go to Psalm 121. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Now, trumpet number two in in verse eight, that sounds. And John says, all I could tell you is it looked like this gigantic mountain that was on fire being tossed into the ocean. That's John's take on it. Now, Considering that the ocean covers three-quarters of the Earth's surface, this is a big deal. Now, uh, commentators say meteor, an asteroid, I mean, they're all out there. You know, they start at one mile by one mile, and they travel at 30,000 miles per hour. You can look at the moon, the craters, and see what they're capable of doing. There are Uh, three consequences. The sea turns to blood, the sea creatures die, and the ships are sunk, a third of each of those categories. Now, the sea turning to blood, is it because the sea creatures die? Is that blood literal? Well, half of them say yes, and half of them say it could be pollution, it could be a lot of different things. Uh, The point is that As Warren Wiersbe says, there's a blood motif going on in the judgments because God is reminding them about the blood they're guilty of. And so to stir up their conscience and to speak to them that this is about the blood that y'all are shedding. And so, you know, in a world that cares more about the environment than their own eternal souls... In a world that loves the earth more than the one who made it, it's no surprise to me that the Lord strikes at the object of their misdirected affections. Now, surely the preachers are preaching Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Surely that's where the preachers are going. Now, Trumpet 3, verse 10. Um, It sounds, and we go inland now. The judgment touches the rivers and the springs of waters. Uh, Now, the earth is is full of rivers. Did you know that the Mississippi is 3,700 miles long? I did not know that. I knew it was long. I didn't think it was that long. Then we've got the Nile, and we've got the Amazon, 4,000 miles each. There are 150 of those kinds of rivers in the world, and a gabillion of the little kind, right? A third of them are poisoned by something John says is called wormwood. Now, wormwood in the Old Testament... Just means poisonous or bitter or miserable in Proverbs chapter five and verse four it 's used. It says sexual immorality starts off sweet to the taste, but in the end it 's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a sword now how does how do the waters get poisoned well it 's a similar idea, this falling torch. Uh, A lot of people think comet again or a meteor or a nuclear weapon. Um, We get the point, whatever it is. It's uh, unusable water, and it's a resource that we can't live without vanishing from the earth. I will throw this in, kind of interesting, that the word uh, Chernobyl has linguistic ties to wormwood, now, you know, I'm not the kind of guy who needs to kind of contemporize everything we're seeing here, but very interesting to me. I did some research and it is true in a couple languages. It goes to wormwood. Now, when you say Chernobyl, what do you think of you think of radiation? That's just something to ponder and something that would make water deadly. Uh, to drink now, with all this poisonous water, where do you think the the preachers would be turning to John chapter four Very good, but whoever drinks the water I give, Jesus says, will never be thirsty, indeed, the water I give him will will become a spring of water, uh, welling up to eternal life. now, finally, trumpet number four, which will close out the chapter, chapter eight, which also closes out the message as well. Um, the heavenly luminaries, as they're called, the uh, light from the sun, moon, and stars are diminished by a third. Now, this kind of is linked to the ninth plague in Exodus 10, where you had three days of darkness. But here's what the Holy Spirit said about that darkness, which we believe it's the same, that it's a darkness that you could feel it was a supernatural blackness. Well, I told you about this back in the days of Exodus. We, uh, my parents took us in Virginia to uh, Cavern. It was about 300 feet below the earth's surface. And then for just fun, they turn off the lights for 10 seconds. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. It's that kind of darkness. Now, a third of the day goes black like that, not just like cloudy and dark or night dark. Black darkness, a darkness inspired by God. A third of the day in a day like today would be 10 hours and 41 minutes of daylight. That means three hours, 33 minutes and 36 seconds, you would have complete blackout of this during the day and about four and a half hours of that at night. Why? Because the Lord is saying, is, that, is this really what you want? You're turning from me, the light of the world. You're turning from truth. You're, turning, you're rejecting the truth for a lie, the dark. This is where your life is headed, not for a third of the day, But 100% of eternity, are you sure this is the path you want to take? That's what's up with that. And that's why it's only a third. Because they're going to come out of that for two-thirds and get to think about it. Because God wants them to change his mind. Now, where do you think the preachers are turning there if the world has gone black? John chapter... 8 verse 12 jesus said i'm the light of the world if anyone believes in me you'll never walk in darkness but have the light of life now verse 13 is a break it's an interlude between trumpets four and five and it's just a shout out of sadness and and the three woes for the three last trumpets that are coming on the people who dwell on the earth the meaning of woe, it just means woe. <laughs> it means sad. How sad, how sad, how sad. How wretched, how miserable, how pathetic. This is what's going on here. And John tells us that the message is communicated by an eagle soaring across the sky. Now that's interesting. Um, I like what Warren Wearsby says, he's all for the miraculous. He says, you know those living beings, one of them, the four creatures, resembles an eagle. And he says, maybe God says, hey, I've got a special assignment for you. Go down there and let them know. Give them a little heads up there. Uh, Other commentators who are less inclined... the miraculous they would say hey that sounds like a satellite and the gospel being preached perhaps that's what john in his antiquated thinking is trying to uh, portray i vote for the living creature who looks like an eagle amen (laughs) here's the point of this before the atomic bomb was dropped leaflets from the heavens, from the Americans, were dropped from the sky onto the Japanese people. And let me read to you what they read in Japanese, just a portion of it. To the Japanese people, America asks you to take immediate heed of what we say on this leaflet. We are in possession of the most destructive explosive ever devised by man, A single one of our newly developed atomic bombs is actually the equivalent in explosive power to what 2,000 of our giant B-29s can carry on a single mission. The awful fact is one for you to ponder, and we solemnly assure you it is grimly accurate. You should take steps now to cease military resistance, otherwise these weapons will be fully employed." And they ask, they call for evacuation and to take cover in all of this. Well, you know, the woe, the woes, is God's way of saying, seriously? It's God's leaflet from the sky to the inhabitants of the earth that just says, you think this was bad. There are three more coming. There'll be great loss of life. Turn, turn and repent. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Can I close with what I would say is proof, absolute theological proof, that the church is not on the earth at this moment. And in my humble opinion, it is something you can always look to and say, see, there's no way. One scripture that says we are out of here. All right? Let me show it to you, and I'll read it to you keep in mind that this is how Jesus describes the coming of the Lord and the end of the world. As it was in the days of Noah, here we go, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man, the Son of God. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, one will be left. He says, when he appears that it, there's a surprise element, that the people on the earth are business as usual, They're going to weddings. They're planning engagement parties. There's no no idea that something's coming. Folks, can you imagine that at the end of the fourth trumpet that nobody knows anything's coming? There's an eagle flying around telling them, whoa, whoa, whoa. They've already said, let's say this. Mountains on fire falling into the sea. A quarter of the earth's population, that is 1,500,000,000 people, have perished earthquakes, and all of these flaming torches into the sea, a third of the rivers, a third of the world, all the green grass, the whole world's on fire. And can you picture someone say, hey, are you going to Marge's wedding on Tuesday? (laughs) I don't think so. There's no business as usual at the end of the fourth trumpet, let alone the rest of them. Therefore, whatever he's talking about, At his coming, where one person goes and one person stays doesn't make sense unless there's an element of surprise. It must happen when nobody suspects a thing and when life is fully functionable and normal. And that is why, my friends, it is theologically impossible for the church to be on the earth at the time of the trump judgments it cannot happen or the scriptures are untrue so fortunately for all of us the scriptures are true and we can comfort one another with these words let's pray together heavenly father we thank you for your great love and the revelation of your word and these truths that just grab us by the heart we can just scarcely take them in. But we thank you, Father, for your promise to be a refuge to us and not appoint us to the day of wrath, but to keep us from that hour. Thank you for those promises. And help us, Father, to be stirred up with compassion in our hearts for others who don't know you, to pray more often to see that our prayers are valuable to you, to just spend time with you instead of picking up a book or watching TV, to be able to spend a little time with our Father in heaven because you delight in us. We thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen.